Amen. Tonight, we're going to continue our study on the subject of persecution, but as you recall, it comes in the context of our overall study of how it is we see in the New Testament, especially the early church, that God grew His church. And remember, the umbrella that really all of these things fall under is that God grows His church providentially. And He does that through the true professions of faith that we see even there in the book of Acts. He does it through the power of the Spirit of God that how He filled men like Peter at specific moments when they were there to speak forth the gospel. He grows it by the power of the Spirit of God in our own life as we are to be full of the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and how that should transform our lives and how we live. And then last time together, we began to see how it is that God grew the church through persecution. And we were looking at it from the standpoint of the reality of persecution and the results of persecution. And before we move further this evening, I want us to come back to that for a moment because we primarily last time together just looked in the book of Acts where we saw the events and how they unfolded. Not too long after the church started, we saw how persecution came against Peter and John. They were arrested. And after being arrested, we see that this built their faith. They were stronger in the Lord. They prayed, seeking the Lord, and they continued to proclaim Jesus Christ. A little later on, we see it again. It happens. Some of the same crowd that arrested them the first time has them arrested again. And we see persecution against Peter and John. Then we saw persecution against Stephen. We saw persecution against the church being led by a man by the name of Saul who became Paul after God uh, saved him by grace on that road to Damascus. And then we saw then persecution being leveled against the Apostle Paul as he traveled from one community to another that really the one thing that he was pretty much guaranteed was that when he got there at some point he was going to face persecution. Tonight I want us to take a moment and turn over with me to start tonight over in the book of 1 Peter. And I want us to see what Peter had to say about persecution And Peter refers to persecution as suffering. And the suffering he's speaking about here is suffering for the cause of Christ. Suffering as a Christian. And I just want us to come back to this just to finish out what we were talking about last Sunday night together. That you're going to see the reality of suffering and the results of suffering here from the pen of Peter. We see it in chapter 1. When he says, beginning in verse 6, that in this you greatly rejoice. Now he's referring there back to what he just wrote in the first five verses. The blessing especially of our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has promised us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away. It's being reserved in heaven for us. It's being protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this we greatly rejoice. But notice what he goes on to say. Even though now, right now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. 
So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And they were going through trials. If you go back up to the first verse, he's writing to those who've been scattered. And the reason why they've been scattered is because they're Christians and persecution has come against them. So they've had to scatter. And he's saying, look, even though now, right now, it's necessary that you are suffering and you're going through various trials and you're you're living under some severe distress because of these trials. But what these trials are doing, that's the reality of life for those Christians. But the result was there in verse 7 that their faith was being tested and refined and it was showing assurance of the true faith that they had. And it was going to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go over to chapter 2 in 1 Peter. And just pick it up. We'll begin reading in verse 18. And he's really, it's in the context of being submissive. And here he's saying, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Just think about that statement. You have been called for this purpose. What purpose? Of suffering. Suffering for the cause of Christ. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but just kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Peter here saying, look, you are going to suffer for doing what's right. And when you do, just know that that is pleasing in the sight of God. And also know that you were called for this purpose. You're just basically following in the footsteps of your Savior. Your Savior suffered in the same way. And you're just following in His steps and just following His steps and how you handle it when you are persecuted, when you do suffer for doing what is right. Jesus was reviled and guess what? He never reviled back in return. He had uttered threats against Him and yet He just kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. Look over, if you will, now in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Begin in verse 13 for a moment. He says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. 
But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Suffering for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. But notice he says, the result is you're blessed. When this type of suffering comes against you, you are blessed. This finds favor in the sight of God. Now if you will, go over to chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning down in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Here's the reality of the situation. They were under a fiery trial, and the result was, this is for your testing. So don't be surprised, he's saying there in verse 12, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, the result should be just keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. There's that phrase again. If you are suffering for the sake of righteousness, he said over in chapter 3, you're blessed. Here he says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if, he gives a quote, and if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Clearly, Peter understood, especially for this crowd that he was writing to, that I said back in chapter 1, verse 1, that were scattered throughout those different regions that were listed there in verse 1. He knows they are under fiery trials and tribulation, various testing and difficulties and distress had come upon them. And he's just saying, look, you just, when you're being reviled, when you're being persecuted, when you're suffering for the name of Christ, for the cause of Christ, for the sake of righteousness, count yourself as blessed and rejoice in the Lord and trust in the Lord. Just keep trusting him. But make sure, he says, that if you are suffering and you are being treated unjustly, you make sure it's for the name of Christ, not for sinful actions and sinful responses that we may have. So we see here, even from the pen of Peter, the reality of suffering, the reality of persecution in the life of a believer, but we also see the results. It ends in praise and glory for God. It refines our faith. It strengthens our faith. It reassures us of the proof of our faith that we have genuine faith. 
Because obviously those who do not have genuine faith will not persevere. doesn't mean that sometimes a believer can fall on their face and when they're facing some difficult times and persecution, uh, they may even for a brief moment deny Christ. We have the perfect example of that in the man who wrote this letter inspired by the Spirit of God, Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times when he was asked to identify with Jesus. And he didn't just deny him. I mean, he was just angered about this. And he was even cursing about this, trying to deny his identity with Christ. But Peter was broken over his sin, over his denial, and Christ sustained him, sustained his faith, and Peter became this bold man for Christ that would stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach the gospel, that would stand before religious leaders there in Acts chapter 4 whenever they were threatening him and saying, we must obey God rather than you, man. And this was what God had done in the heart and life of Peter. And he will do it in your heart and life as well when you have a commitment in your heart to obey God and to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now tonight, I want us to shift gears a little bit now. And I want us to understand what is the root of this persecution. Why is it that we're saying persecution for us as believers is really to be expected? It is to be a reality. Well, it actually goes back to the first book in the Bible. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 with me for a moment. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we, I'm sure, are all familiar. This is the chapter where man falls. He disobeys the Lord. And the Lord comes on the scene and he's speaking there to, the, to the, the serpent and he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And what that right there is telling us, beloved, that even here, since the fall of man and Satan was the one that was behind that tempting man, God has said there is going to be strife, there is going to be enmity between those who are the true people of God and those who aren't. There is enmity that is there. As we talked about before, again, go back and just think through sometimes the implications of some of the things we read in Scripture when Paul says over in the book of Romans that the unbeliever has a natural mind and that mind is just set on the things of the earth, the things of the world, and it is hostile towards God. The believer has a mind that has been renewed. The believer has a mind that has been regenerated. The the believer has a mind that is set on the things of God, that is set on the things of heaven, that has set on the things of the Spirit. Those two things are against each other. You look over in the book of Galatians, and what do you see? The Spirit and the flesh are at war with each other in that sense. Okay, so there is a war that is going on. So it should not be surprising, even as Peter says... Think back to what Peter wrote there in 1 Peter 4. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're facing. Don't be surprised at that. Because at the root of it is found here that there are two different groups of people in the world. Ultimately, beloved, there are only two 
types of people in the world. Those who are believers and those who are not. Those, as the Bible says, who are being saved and those who are perishing. And they're going in opposite directions. They have different masters, different lords, different ways of thinking, different perspectives on life. And so this is why there will be clashes that will happen. That's why we see this unfold in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the brother Cain rise up and kill his brother Abel. Cain was of the family of the devil, spiritually. Abel was of the family of the God, spiritually. So you have these two families. Here they are in the same physical family, but they're not of the same spiritual family. Because Cain did never came to God by faith. God gave him the opportunity multiple times there in Genesis chapter 4 to come to him by faith, come to him by a blood sacrifice. And Cain refused it every single time. And we see there was this hostility that was there on on the behalf of Cain towards Abel. Not Abel towards Cain. It's not that we are to have hostility towards unbelievers, but unbelievers are going to have hostility towards us. Remember what the Bible says, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. As far as it should depend on us, we would be at peace with anyone and everyone. But that doesn't mean they're going to be at peace with us. And I bring that to your attention, beloved, because go on for just a moment and go over to 1 John chapter 3. Go to 1 John chapter 3, towards the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 3. And notice John here writing, verse 10, he says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil, see there's two two different families here represented in this verse. There's the children of God and there's the children of the devil. And by the children of the devil, their beloved, he's not saying these were people who were going out and worshiping in the church of Satan. And they were Satan worshipers in that sense. He just really, when he says the children of the devil, he's talking about unbelievers who right at that point are spiritual children of the devil. That is, that's the one that they're following because they're following the the beliefs and the systems of the world or false religions that the devil has established. And he says, it is obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which we have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Notice verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one. That phrase of the evil one is speaking about his spiritual life. He was spiritually of the evil one. And that's why he he slew his brother. He killed his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Thus, verse 13, don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Yeah, don't be surprised at that. That's coming on the heels of him making reference to Cain rising up and killing his brother. Abel, who was a righteous man because he came to God by faith, and Cain was not. And so we see at the root of this, 
is this hostility that is there. And we notice also, you notice, it's, there's, it's because the unbeliever, he is angered in his heart that you see there because his deeds are considered as evil. His deeds are, and that's an interesting statement. It, when you put that statement together with what you read in Genesis chapter 4, it lets you know what God thinks about false religions. It lets you know because remember, Cain came to God. And he came to God on his own terms instead of God's terms. And he came to worship God. And when he came to God, God told him, Cain, I do not have any regard for what you've offered here to me in worship. And also, I don't have any regard for you personally. Because you're not coming to me by faith. And that's when God offers up the opportunity there for him to bring the offering that he should have brought and Cain walks away from God. He walks away from the opportunity of salvation, of being made right with God and received by God, welcomed by God, for God to have regard for him. But notice here, John is describing the very worship and the deeds of Cain as being evil. Now, we don't like to think that way. I know that that is something that's hard for us to think that those that are worshiping God in a way that is not according to the word of God, that their worship is evil, but it is. God wants us to come to him in the way that he calls on us to come to him from the word of God. So we see this hatred that is there. We see this enmity that is there, this hostility that will be there. Because of sin. But now, if you will, continue with this thought. Go over to the Gospel of John for a moment. Go to John chapter 15. Go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And let's pick it up in verse 18. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. And he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. He goes on to say, look down in verse 26. When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do, because they have not known the Father or me. 
But these things I have spoken to you, so that when the hour comes, you will remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. He's about to leave. And he knows that when he leaves, now their hostility and their persecution is going to turn from Jesus to them. And the reason, go back and read through that and think through that carefully, what Jesus is saying. He says that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And the reason why they're going to hate you is because I chose you out of the world. That is, I saved you and I called you to myself. You came to me by faith and you put your faith in me. And when you did that, you were separated in that sense spiritually from the world. You see, that's the good news. The wonderful news is, is that a person could be a child of the devil spiritually, but they can be rescued by God. God in his sovereignty and in his authority, if someone comes calling to God comes to God through Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, God rescues them, He saves them, He delivers them out of the hand of the devil, and He says when He has them in His hand, the devil or no one else can ever take them out of His hand. No one ever goes from being a child of the devil to the child of God back to a child of the devil. When someone is truly born again and saved and truly puts their faith in Christ, they go from being a child of the devil to a child of God and they stay that way permanently. They never lose that. But Jesus is saying, look, when it comes down to it is they're going to hate you because they hated me. They really had a hatred for Jesus. And Jesus even goes on to say, if they have a hatred for me, that means they also have a hatred for the Father. You see, these Jews of this day would have said, we love the Father. We love God. And Jesus says, no, they don't. Because if they don't love me, they don't love the Father. And if they hate me, they hate Him. And Jesus is getting down to the heart of it. Think about what it says. The world, he says, hates Christ. We're told over in James chapter 4 and verse 4 that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. And whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jesus was making it very clear here that the gospel message that he was preaching of people to come to him, to follow him, would be costly it would cost them even possibly their life. This is why he would say such things to them that for them to be a disciple of his, that he, they had to love him more than they loved anyone else or anything else in this world, including their family, including their own possessions, including their own life. Because he knew the world had a hatred not only for him, but the world would have a hatred for them as well. They needed to understand what they were signing up for. The world loves sin. The world loves darkness. We as believers love the light. We love the truth. The world wants to suppress the truth. We want the truth to reign. Two totally different perspectives about life. And they're going to clash. And what Jesus is saying here is that the more we proclaim the truth, And the more we practice the truth, then the more this world is going to come against us. That's just the reality of the situation because there is enmity that is there. 
between the two families that are here on this earth. See, that's part of the tragedy of the fall of man. That when Adam fell and did what he did in disobeying God, it had an impact not just on him, but it had an impact on us. And we're still having to deal with the effects of his sin and his fall. Jesus wants them to know that verse 21 there we just read, all these things they would do to you for my name's sake because they don't know me and they don't know my father. So beloved, this is at the root. This is the root of the persecution that believers face. It's not as much about us personally as it is about God and it is about Christ. That's why we talk about that, and we're going to get into this in just a moment, that, that someone can say, hey, I, I believe in God. And most people say, that's fine. That's good. But when you begin to narrow it down and say, yes, you must believe in God, but there's only one God. And there's only one true and living God. And that one God is found here in the pages of Scripture where he reveals himself to us. And... There's only one way to having a relationship with this one true and living God, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And as you get narrow, but you're truthful, then understand the world is going to become hostile towards that. Because you would think about, think about the, even the hostility the world has right now towards the Bible. You think about the things we were talking about this morning. Here is a book that the world has access to, that anyone can pick it up and read it, here's a book that is comprehensive, it is correct in everything that it says, it is certain in everything that it says, it is clean, it is clear, it is comprehensive, it is continual, and so you can take it anywhere. You would think the world would say, give me that. Let me have that book. But the world doesn't want that book because when it gets down to it, it's what that book actually says about God and about man and about sin and about our need of Christ. So now for a few minutes before we leave tonight, I want you to turn now over to the book of Acts. And I turn to begin with over in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to move around a little bit in Acts because what I want us to do is now to see some of what I call the reasons for persecution. Some of the reasons we see that the church, the early church was persecuted. And remember now, what's God doing through this? God was actually using this persecution to strengthen the church with more people coming to Christ, but also for those who were believers to strengthen their faith. But we're going to see some of the reasons why that the church was persecuted. And I think we're going to see that some of these things will happen and are happening in our day as well. The first reason I say is because of the principle of the matter itself. The principle of the message that we preach. If you go to chapter 4 and verse 2. Here Peter and John are speaking to the people. And the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. And notice in verse 2, they are greatly disturbed. Why are they disturbed? Because they're teaching the people and proclaiming to them in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see here that the reason why there was persecution, this is the persecution I say based on principle. 
And by principle I mean because of their religious background, their religious belief, that they are troubled by what it is that they're hearing them say about Jesus. This is not the only place that you will see this. If you even go back and go over to, uh, go over to chapter 5 for a moment. Go to chapter 5. The same crowd, a little later on in a different situation. Verse 27. When they had brought them, this is Peter and John again, who'd been arrested a, a second time. They stood them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders. What were the orders? Stop teaching in this name. You see, remember they were greatly disturbed because they're going around teaching in the name of Jesus and teaching the resurrection from the dead. And he's saying, we gave you strict orders to to not to continue to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and tend to bring this man's blood upon us. You see, they they, they hate the message. They hate the gospel. They hate what they're teaching. This is why I say it's an issue of principle for them. And this is what Paul even says. If you remember what Paul had to say, you don't need to turn there, but over in Acts chapter 26, he speaks, he first makes reference to his life before he was saved and how he was advancing in, as a Pharisee in, in Judaism and the things that he was doing. And he felt that it was even necessary that he needed to be hostile to the name of Jesus. He thought because of principle, but his hatred for the message that he needed to persecute the church. And this is what the Jews did against Paul over in Acts chapter 21. They persecuted him on principle. But a second reason why the church faces persecution is for what I call because of passion or power. It's about jealousy. Look over in chapter 5 for a moment. Go back to Acts chapter 5 and look with me in verse 17. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, we're told that the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and notice this phrase, they were filled with jealousy. They're filled with jealousy and they lay hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. Now keep that phrase in mind, being filled with jealousy. And turn over now with me over to Acts chapter 13. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. And here it is, Paul and Barnabas were out preaching the gospel. And in verse 44, the next Sabbath, they've already spoken. And they come back the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. So they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. There it is again. Different crowd, same jealousy. Filled with jealousy with what was happening. Turn and be will over to Acts chapter 17 for just a moment. Here Paul is in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. 
He's been speaking to them, beginning as his custom, it says in verse 2 and 3, explaining, giving evidence that Jesus is is the Christ. Verse 4, we see the results. Some of them were persuaded. They joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous, they take along some wicked men from the marketplace and they cause this, this riot type of atmosphere that is there. And what you see is this passion there. It's interesting when you think about whether it was Peter or Stephen or Paul, these men are filled with the Spirit. The the ones that are persecuting them and leading the persecution are filled with jealousy. And we know from the book of James, over in James chapter 3 and verse 16, that jealousy, selfish ambition, where those things exist, there is disorder, there is every evil thing, and that this type of wisdom is not from God, but it's earthly, it's natural, and it even goes on to describe it as demonic. It is demonic. They're being filled with jealousy. So we see sometimes the reason why they faced persecution was simply on the basis of principle. The other time it's just passion and power that just filled with jealousy. But thirdly, we're going to see that sometimes the church faced persecution in the early days as it does today because of politics. Because of politics. Go back to chapter 4 for a moment. Go back to chapter 4. And on this occasion, Peter and John didn't face as harsh a persecution as they wanted to dish out to them because of politics, because of the people. Remember, what's happened here is they've done a miracle that none of the religious leaders can deny. They knew this man. They knew him. And they knew what Peter and John had done for him that he's able to walk. They knew this was a miracle. It was supernatural. They couldn't deny it. And they even admit that. But it says there, in verse 21, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people. Because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old whom this miracle of healing had been Performed. You see, they wanted to do more to them right then and there. They would have, they would have rather at that moment go, gone ahead and say, let's cut this off right now. Let's put these two men to death. But they wouldn't do it because the people were magnifying and glorifying God. And if they would have killed Peter and John at that moment, it would have brought a riot against them. So this was a political decision why they didn't persecute them further. But we're going to see political decisions made later on for the sake of persecution. Go over to Acts chapter 12 for just a moment. In Acts chapter 12, we find this with Herod the king. In verse 1, that he laid hands on some of them who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. When he saw that it pleased the people, He was willing to persecute Peter. He was willing to keep moving forward in the persecution. You see the same type of attitude with Felix. Go over to Acts 24 for just a moment. In Acts 24, Paul 
was in jail. And Felix arrives in verse 24 with his wife, who is of Jewish descent, sends for Paul. They hear him speak about faith in Christ. And he's discussing with them about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. And it frightens Felix. And he sends him away. But notice, we'll look down at verse 27. It says, but after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And wishing to do Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. You notice, this is another political favor. He doesn't have a fear of the people. He knows the people are behind this persecution. The people are behind Paul being left in prison. So he's willing to do it. So we see it with Felix. We see it with Herod. And beloved, this is an important thing to remember. This is the same thing they did with Jesus. There was times when the leaders wanted to go ahead and get Jesus and take him off the scene, but they wouldn't because of the people. And the reason why I'm bringing this to your attention is because in this nation, we have lived under the the privilege of political favor. That is because the majority of the people in our nation were favorable towards Christianity. So politicians would not act or do things that would go too hard against Christianity and against Christians. But I'm sure we're all aware those days are just about, if not already, over. Where now politicians are way more willing to come against Christians and come against Christianity. They're way more willing to pass laws and to do things that make it more difficult on us as believers because they know they have the people, at least a majority of the people, sadly, on their side. And so the more our society and our nation drifts away from God and drifts more towards uh, worldliness, beloved, it's going to become more difficult for us. Because see, we've had the privilege of living in this nation that was founded and started with religious freedoms that most nations in the world have never enjoyed, never really experienced. They've always lived under that hostility that is there because the majority of the people weren't favorable towards Christ and towards Christianity. So understand, that's why I would say along with what John said and what Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Well, let me give you one other reason. And that is because of profit. Christians and the church face persecution because of profit. We actually see this with Felix. If you looking back in chapter 24 of Acts, he would send Paul away because he got frightened when Paul was speaking about the judgment to come. And he'd send him away and say, I'll find time and I'll summon you and listen to you again. And he would do that. But it also says in verse 26 of Acts 24 that he was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. He, he was hoping that would happen. But clearly Paul was never going to do that. If you remember back in Acts chapter 16 that we've studied where the the church at Philippi came into existence, remember why was it the church 
face persecution. Why was it Paul was facing persecution? Because of the slave girl there that was bringing profit to those that were there in that community. And when Paul cast out that spirit that was inside of her, it cost them money. It hit their pocketbook. Their profit, profitability went down immediately. And they were outraged at that. And because they were, they brought persecution against the church. You can look over in Acts chapter 19. You see the same thing there. When they're in Ephesus. Look just for a moment. Look in verse 23 of Acts chapter 19. Where it says, About that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. And these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, I mean, basically you have a union meeting happening here. Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Now, not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all the Asia and all the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Notice what he's, they are concerned about their living and the gospel's coming in and the gospel is changing lives and when the gospel, when, whenever there are industries that are built on sin and the gospel comes in and begins to change people's lives so it changes their behavior and it changes where they spend money and it changes what they do. Those who have built their life and their commerce on sin are going to react against that. They're going to come against it. And this is what was going on here. So what you see, beloved, when you look through the, the book of Acts, you see that persecution came to them because of principle, because of passion and power, because of prophets and because of politics. And this is happening even in our day as well. So how should we respond? We'll come back next Sunday and we'll look at it. We'll see how it is. How are we supposed to respond to this? And I pray that you'll be here to hear this because, as I say, the persecution's already here somewhat and it's coming. It's coming more. I mean, beloved, it's going to get to the point where to be involved in some businesses that are noble, noble businesses, that it's going to be almost impossible to be in those businesses because of the laws that are being passed in our nation that are going to go against that. We've already seen that. We speak about those who are involved in photography or, or bakeries and, and some of the things that have happened already there. It's become more and more difficult for us as Christians. But we're going to have to be ready for that and see how we should respond I want to ask you to bow your head in prayer for a moment.